0: It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. I heard Andy Reid is coming to BYU next year. I heard it from a friend's wife's boss, essential oil representative, who has a friend who works with Tom Homo's Grubhub delivery boy, who said he read it on (coughs) The, the Cougar Board.
1: All right, well, before we get to that, Larry, I know you've got a BYU question, basketball question from last night, right? Yes. We're going to talk about Nick Saban. Is that okay before we get to that? Yes. Because Saban came out an hour ago, and it's being reported all over the place that he's done. He's retiring from Alabama. Here's the uh, article from ESPN.com. Nick Saban, considered among the greatest college football coaches of all time, who won six national titles at Bama, has informed his team that he is retiring, sources told ESPN's Chris Lowe. On Wednesday, Saban, who's 72, just completed his 17th season at Alabama, which ended in a loss to eventual eventual national champion Michigan in the Rose Bowl. In 17 seasons, he won 201 games, tied with Vince Dooley of Georgia for the second-most wins at a single school in SEC history, behind only Bear Bryant, who won 232 games in his 25 seasons with Alabama. Saban won more games in 17 seasons at Alabama, 201 than the Crimson Tide won in the 24 seasons between Bryant's retirement and Saban's hiring at Alabama. In his 28 seasons as a college head coach, a career that included 7 national titles, 12 conference titles, and 19 bowl game wins, Saban never had a losing season. His worst seasons were in 96-98 and 98 at Michigan State. Saban finishes his career with 292 wins, 71 losses, and one tie, ranking him sixth all-time in the FBS in wins and 12th in NCAA college football history, regardless of division. Saban also coached in the NFL, yada, yada, yada. And I think that's all we want to read from this. So I was surprised by this, and I guess I shouldn't have been because I think Saban's looking around the college football landscape being like, this is horrible. This new way of doing things takes all of the uh, all of the power that I used to have. I used to reign over this sport like a king on a throne. All of these idiots around me in the SEC, these coaches, all my assistants would go, and they were lesser coaches than me, and I would just pound them. And now they're raiding all of my second stringers, and they're I've depleted depth wise and they can pay people to uh, compete with me. And so this isn't this isn't the college football I hung on for. If, if it was still like it was five years ago, maybe he would keep going and want to coach for 20, 20 years or, you know, whatever at Alabama. Instead, he's like, I don't like this new world order. It's threatening to me, and I'm out. Much like Coach K at Duke, the timing of all of these legends' retirements, Roy Williams at North Carolina, I think, came... At the time, that was very influential. When they were losing power, the coaches and the dynasties and having kids locked in, they don't have that power anymore, and so they're out. It's a new phase. I don't blame them for quitting or retiring. Um, Saban, the greatest college coach, college football coach ever, unequivocally. Uh, Bear, he passed. Bear, he passed. Bowden, he passed. Uh, you know past Paterno by a long shot. Who else? Obviously, Newt. You go back in time. I I guess I should say... Well, no. I'm going to say even including Newt and the guys pre-1950, it's Saban and it's amazing what he's done. And my respect and love for Saban has grown over the years, Larry. I used to be very critical and mock Saban. Too serious. He's like the Belichick of college football and he's mean to the media and he's Looking down his nose at everybody and doesn't have a sense of humor. I've completely 180 on Saban. I love Saban. I love that he was an authoritarian. I love that his players respected the game and he enforced whatever. He never had any issues really off the field compared to what Kirby or Urban or some of these other big-time coaches had to deal with. And he deserves a ton of praise for that. It's remarkable how well he was able to keep that program together with all these players, all these five-star kids who were the most accoladed kids in the country to come in and lose all of their um, entitlement and buy in to the Nick Saban way. And it paid off for him because he sent about half of them to the NFL. So congratulations, Coach Saban, the greatest of all time. Anything you want to add to that, Larry? No. We'll talk about it more second hour. I was surprised by it, but I guess I shouldn't have been. I was kind of rooting for him. I was rooting for him this year. If it couldn't have been Washington, I wanted it to be Saban. And they lost in overtime because they didn't have a play. Did not have a play to end the game against Michigan in overtime. Pathetic. Tommy Reese should have been fired at halftime by Saban. Did not have a play. Just run a draw up the middle, you know. So that was disappointing. Bad way to go out by Nick, but uh, who cares? He's got seven titles. All right, now we can do the BYU uh, question, Lawrence. If you've got it, fire away, buddy. BYU will trap at half court. Nearly got the steal. Bridges tied up. He's triple teamed, and they will call the foul, not the tie up. The foul on Dallin Hall. He's fouled out of the game. BYU surrounded Bridges. Oh. And appeared to have the tie-up, and Instead, just got a technical.
0: All right, Sporty, what did you think of BYU blowing that game in Waco last night?
1: I, I I look at it. Les is blowing the game as being thrilled that they were leading in the game, like 75% of the game. They were right with them. They were even with the three-ball. Um that was always the the question for me with this BYU team, especially on the road in the Big Twelve. Is are they going to be able to keep up shooting wise? And they did last night. They fell apart because they turned the ball over like crazy. Baylor didn't turn the ball over. Baylor's a great program, who's a Elite Eight, Final Four type of program every year. They're ranked again this year. They're right kind of close to where BYU is in the Ken Palm. They came into the game, you know, 14th in the country or whatever they were. And teams like that don't, who were really well coached by Coach uh, Drew, don't turn the they turn the ball over five times the whole game. BYU is losing it too much down the stretch. Now I know the big story for BYU fans was the the officiating, especially the tie up or would have been a tie up with like fifty something seconds left that they didn't get the call, and that's the audio we just played that you heard on eight ninety KDXU. That was Rubel as. As Pope comes over after it's called a foul on BYU instead of a jump ball, when BYU's down by like four, would have been a huge turnover for him. Pope comes over, grabs the water bottle, slams it right in front of Rubell. Water goes everywhere. It drenches Rubell. And so uh, Rubell doesn't comment on it, but he just kind of pauses and uh, is kind of startled by it. And then that got the technical foul for Pope. Um, here is uh, Mark Pope after the game. We spend some in-depth time now looking at this and trying to figure out how we can uh, um, how we can soften this whistle a little bit. That's that's um, that's going to be really important for us. And there is some of this that is actually controllable for us, and so we have to really focus on the the part of this that's controllable for us. And then we and then we just got to play above the rest of it. And so um, that that's our job, and we can do it. And it's going to be it's going to be something that we're going to grow into over time. But we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time time um, trying to figure out exactly how to keep up our competitive fire and, and and soften this whistle. Limiting the amount of calls against him, I guess is what he's saying there. Um, I thought, first of all, I hate the camera angle. Baylor's one of these schools that the camera is from the rafters. It's just so high up, so your perspective on the game isn't great. Who else is Is Kansas kind of like that, Larry? I'm trying to think of other schools that I hate their how high their camera is. Baylor's definitely one of those. Um, I think it's interesting, at least in the front court for BYU this year, with Treori and now Khalifa, the transfer, who is an awesome playmaker, passer, as a big man, to have them on the floor at the same time is, is challenging defensively. But it's, it's also... They're just so completely different in how they play the game. Whereas um, Traore is so good with his back, even though he's undersized, he's so good as a post player, and you can depend on him to get his position, get into the body of somebody, and demand the ball down there, and go up and, and do something with it off the glass. He's great at that. Khalifa's not that guy, but he can. he's got great touch, he's got great hands, and he's a great passer. Having them in at the same time... I think is a challenge because of a lot of these teams in the big 12 have a four that can do every plays, you know, 25 feet from the basket. So that's a little bit of a challenge. I don't know what Pope's going to do there in the future. I really like Khalifa's game and I think he needs to be in there at, you know, crunch time and stuff like that. But it's a balancing act with the bigs. I think for Pope, uh, Johnson played. Okay. Hall played. Okay. Not good enough to win on, on the road, especially turning the ball over, you know, 14 times to five or whatever it was, the differential on the road in Waco. I thought it was going to be worse. I thought, you know, they blew the game against Cincinnati. That's a team you can probably you probably should beat this year in the Big 12 thing to go on the road against Waco against Baylor in Waco and ball out and lead a lot of that game. And then it falls apart just because you're not strong enough with the ball late in the game. You can blame the refs on the calls and stuff like that, but that's going to happen, you know, every game in college basketball where the refs, it's perceived that the refs screwed you over, especially in conference on the road. So BYU's got to win with discipline. They got to win like Air Force. They got to win like Princeton. They got to make a bunch of threes, but they've also just got to be super duper disciplined with the turnovers, and that wasn't the case last night, Lawrence. Next topic, my friend, what do we got? Two-minute drill presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! Region 9 Hoops coming your way tonight on our family of radio networks. Lawrence, Snow Canyon is at Pineview in the pit. That's the game I'll be at with Rustin. Hurricane is at Desert Hills. Carrick Segmiller will have the call on that game on KDXU. And Crimson is up to Cedar on a Wednesday. That game on 590 KSUB. Let's talk about Snow Canyon at Pineview. This game is going to be phenomenal. Nash, uh, Schroeder, and Griffith Shepard. A great tandem in the backcourt who I've seen only once this year live. So I'm looking forward to seeing them in the pit in a region game. Last time they played, they combined to go to the free throw line 18 times, which I love. I love the attacking nature of these two guards. And the other thing I love about this Pineview offense and just the team, I guess, in general is... It is run and gun, get the ball up. This is what Coach Amico said beginning of the year. We practice getting the ball up. As soon as we get an open shot, we take it. We want to put it up in the first 12 seconds, 13 seconds of the the shot clock. And the way that they're shooting the ball, they've made, as a team, this year, they've shot 253 threes. And they're 36% as a team, which is remarkable for a high school team. Nash is 41% from threes, 24 for 50. Um, Adam Moore is 34%. Griffin Shepard is 45% from three. So it's not just that they're hustling and averaging about five threes a quarter. It's that they're making a bunch of them. It's not just volume. They're knocking them down, and to be shooting that many threes and knocking that many of them down at that high of a clip is awesome for Pineview in this new offensive system. Year one under Coach Amico's run-and-gun thing, and they're doing awesome. Uh, Tremendous, in fact. Where they are now, what are they at? Nine and... shoot, nine and three? Nine wins already in this young season? So this, this could be a showdown against Snow Canyon. I think we're going to learn a lot about Pineview and how good they really are against Snow Canyon, who we know has you know the best dang player around. So one of the best dang players around, I should say. Uh, Snow Canyon, Owen Mackey, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.5 blocks a game. Anytime you get to see him play on a Wednesday night. Or a Friday night. That's a blast. Uh, Campbell versus Condi down in the paint should be fun. Looking forward to that. Hurricane at Desert Hills. Desert Hills will be huge favorites in that game. Crimson up to Cedar. Crimson will be favored in that game. Other Region 9 two-minute drill stuff. Hurricane announced they have hired a new coach. This is the press release from Hurricane I got this from... Um, Marcus Matua, the AD out there earlier on today, quote, I wanted to send you an email to let everyone know that Coach Corey Ashby has resigned as the head coach at Hurricane High School. Corey will still be a part of the program in some capacity, but has resigned his duties as head coach. Coach Ashby put in countless hours and hard work. He lives and bleeds Hurricane Red and Black, and we are happy to have him working with our players going forward under the direction of our new head coach. Please take time to let Corey know how much we appreciate his time, sacrifices, and loyalty to Hurricane High. Coaching is incredibly difficult. Corey and his wife gave the best years of their life to our players, school, and community. Corey has been instrumental in helping us recruit our new coach. He preached, quote, team above self to his players and demonstrated his commitment to that philosophy by graciously stepping aside to help secure our new coach. This speaks volumes about his integrity as well as desire to see Hurricane High School football grow and improve. Thank you, Coach Ashby. We also want to announce that we have hired a new head football coach. We have hired Jerry Cowan, who comes to Hurricane with an amazing track record as a head coach and educator. Coach Cowan has won five state championships as a head coach, two state championships as an assistant coach. He holds the longest winning streak in the state of Utah, 48 games, and is one of the winningest active head coaches in the state of Utah. He played his collegiate ball at SUU and also had a brief stint in the NFL. He will be leaving Duchesne High School and joining us this summer and will also be a teacher on campus. So, big news out a Hurricane. I love that Coach Ashby will remain a part of the program. They go and get a proven uh, high school coach who's won state championships at Duchesne. And um, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. We'll try to get Coach Cowan on the show soon. So great hire by uh, Coach, or excuse me, I keep calling. When I got here, he was Coach Matua, but now he's AD, uh, Marcus Matua. Great hire. And uh, great uh, leadership by Coach Ashby saying, let's go get this guy. I still want to be a part of the program, but this let's go lock lock up Jerry Cowan if we can. And they did. So excited for Hurricane football in the future. Fantastic. All right. Very good, Lawrence. Oh, we've got Wednesday. Oh, Waylon. Very good. This will be fun.
0: Sports, sports,
1: sports, sports, We bring in our guy Waylon, Wednesdays with Waylon. Thanks for coming uh, on the program. We've got, we're have got. we going to do this every every week. Uh, thanks for being it's here. It's good
0: to be with you. Um, we've missed you over the last couple
1: of weeks. Yeah.
0: Over I, the holidays.
1: Yeah. I, it's good to be back with uh, you and Larry and excited for this yeah. new segment. Well, no,
0: it's great to be back, and it's great to for our first uh, Wednesday little segment here within the Sport Hole. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, Uh, a sponsor yet? (laughs) Not yet. We got to work on that.
0: Okay, Okay. I'll work on that. Well, um, today's Wednesday's with Waylon is about football. Oh, good. And I know we talk about football a lot on this show. Yeah. But California is proposing a bill in their legislature that will make it How illegal for kids ages 12 and under to participate in football. Now, I know what your take on this is going to be. It's preposterous. I I know. How? I know. But let me give you my uh, take, and yeah. then we'll, you know, we can discuss it a little bit. All my right. take is a 12-year-old is a child. The brain of a 12-year-old is in the infancy of its development still. Infancy? It's a, a
1: 12-year-old. Uh, let it's me, not a let, let me finish
0: now. All right. Let me finish here. All right. To to allow a kid at that point in his <laughs> no, but play flag football, play basketball, play baseball, but right. when it comes to colliding your head into another kid's head, I think it's incumbent upon the adults in the room. To prevent this from happening, it's clear to me that this, oh I know gosh. Illinois tried to pass it. I know New York tried to couldn't pass do it, it and failed. They couldn't I do it. I think California might be able to pass
1: it. Oh, well, California is ridiculous. So you, th-
0: you think it's ridiculous because you don't want to, you don't care about the brain of the kid. You don't have a kid yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, you, you, you have a kid, but they're they're young kids. Yeah. And you have a 10, 11 year old. Are you going to allow them to play football?
1: Of course. I'm not. I'm not worried. Of, my kid's going to junior college, whether he plays football or not. It's not going to affect his brain. Uh, it's already affected enough being my kid. Um, The adults in the room argument is absurd, Waylon. The the adults in the room are the kids' parents. They have the authority to decide for their own kid what they want him or her to do. And if they're cool with him playing football, then he should be allowed to play football because this is America, for heaven's sakes, even if it is California. So California is is once again just off the rails when it comes to uh, allowing the, the parents to decide things. And second, I think if you talk to... Ah, uh, youth football coaches—they'll say if you start playing when you hit puberty and you've never played before, you're gonna be in a dangerous situation. This is gonna be the first time you're colliding with people when you're hitting 14, 15-year-olds that are coming with velocity and speed. With the collisions, you're not gonna be able to defend yourself. You, you don't know the technique. Whereas if you start when you're seven. And there's no velocity, and there's no big collisions. It's just kids grabbing each other. There's not a lot of risk there, but you're learning the technique to protect yourself, Waylon, and to take that away from these kids. It's it's uh, anti whatever. It's like it's a bunch of communists in California not allowing the parents to choose and let and making Big Brother make all these decisions. Now I don't know if it's going to pass or not, but it is very stupid, and it's going to kill. Not only the youth football in California, but high school football. And then a little leak on up to to college football. Kids that aren't allowed to play uh, until they're 12 are going to invest all of their time and resources into other sports. And football is going to go into the tank in California, Waylon.
0: All right, well, we disagree, but that's what Wednesdays with Waylon is about. It's about uh, a topic, we debate it, and we don't hate each other afterwards. That's right?
1: exactly right. I love you, Waylon. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, very good. Thank you, Waylon. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports.
0: Huh? Got to keep my composure. No! I don't, no, I don't. See, I don't have to. As long as I know what I'm doing, I, I can yell and go, go on. He fooled me Oh, baby. Woo! You called one. You called one. Who are your top five sports endorsers ever?
1: Oh, skip that one, Larry. Let's do the next one.
0: BYU and Utah have been power five teams for over a decade. Aren't you overplaying this Liberation Day thing?
1: Oh, man, we're out of sorts here, Larry. Okay, let's do that one. Um. You're talking about the me saying that it's a, a day of celebration in the streets, right, Larry, for yes. college football? It's not just Ann Arbor that should have fans climbing telephone poles and turning cars over. It's places like Salt Lake. It's places like Provo, Tucson, heck, Boise, Logan maybe, right? Louisville. All of these mid-tier Power 5 programs or upper-tier Group of 5 programs. This is a day of celebration. This whole week should be Liberation Week because the tyranny of the college football 14 playoff and the BCS and before that the lame bowl system determining an international championship is over and a legitimate playoff is what it's going to be next season for eternity. And teams like Utah, BYU specifically, here locally, should be having a parade because they've been liberated from a system that kept them out who didn't allow them to really be a part of going for the trophy. Utah won two conference championships while in the Pac-12. Not even a thought to allow them to go to the playoff because they had a loss or two, right? BYU has had good seasons going back to 2020 when they went to 10-1. I think they finished 16th in the college football playoff rankings that year. After losing to Coastal Carolina, no chance at going to the playoff. BYU with Croton, no chance to go to the national title in the BCS era. Utah in 04 and 08, go undefeated, no chance at going to the national title. The tyranny of that setup is over and dead. The committee is dead. You win your conference now, or even go second place in your conference, you have a chance. You've got a chair, you've got an invite to the party. And this is a week of celebration. As soon as that championship finished on Monday, screw it. Death to the old system. I'm celebrating all of this week, Liberation Week. And BYU and Utah fans should as well, Lawrence. Anything else on that? No. You agree, right? Yes. All right. Then we got to do, let's see, what's next? What do we got?
0: Sports, sports, sports,
1: sports. Are you sad to see Pete Carroll go? Yeah, so Pete Carroll retiring on the same day as Nick Saban, so he'll get lesser billing now because he'll be under Nick Saban's headlines. But I am sad to see Pete Carroll go because um, first, I wish Pete would have just stayed in. It, it would have been so much more fun if Pete, who was a, a very fun. Controversial, yes, because of the USC stuff and Bush and stuff, which seems so innocent nowadays. The stuff he got in trouble for or ran away from out of USC when he was going to get in trouble for, you know, whatever, paying the parents of Bush and other people or whatever. I wish he could have stayed in college. Now, he doesn't because he went and won a Super Bowl and was really good and went to the playoffs almost every year in Seattle and was a great coach. What I love about Pete was he didn't affect or take on, I should say, the self-seriousness of many other coaches at his level. He was always Pete. He was always running around with a big cud in his mouth, chewing on gum. Um, the clip that you paid, played earlier was a great representation of Pete enjoying his life on the sideline, goofing around with players, excitement, totally, you know, passionate, emotional, and I like I always liked Pete Carroll, even though he never coached a team that I cared about. I rooted for Pete. 53 players selected in the NFL draft, including 14 in the first round during his stint with USC. He took over a crappy USC team, went 6-6, and then he won 12 or 11 games every year until his last year in 2008, where I think he won eight games and then got the heck out of there. Three Heisman Trophy winners... 34 game winning streak from 03 and 04, six BCS Bowl victories, and the last dominant team east of, or excuse me, west of the Mississippi. Right? I mean, Oklahoma, but USC's run there was the best east of SEC territory, west of it. Judas Priest, west of SEC territory. Sorry. I like Pete. Sorry to see him go. He's going to stay on as some sort of advisor for the Seahawks. Um, I just wish that he would have stayed in college. All right. we are got to wrap it up, Larry.
0: No hitter. If you have a sombrero, throw it to the sky.
1: This day in sports. We're going
0: to call a sprint auction. He's going to break up and break into the corner. Okay, you got it? Dwight will clear. Dwight is in here sliding back out this is great when they're tired and they're confused and they want to get back to dallas this is when you knock their ass off their if you don't get what you want you'll just throw simply throw the ball away you're not there the way you're, there. you're ready to go to dwight got it of course for the upstart 49ers they're six yards away from pontiac third and three we'll see a pick up something on the right side possibly montana looking looking throwing in the end zone It's a madhouse at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4". He stands about 10 feet tall in this crowd's estimation.
1: 1982 NFC Championship at Candlestick Park. 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-27. The catch, iconic moment in NFL history. Dwight Clark makes fingertip catch for a touchdown from Joe Montana with 58 seconds remaining. Uh, the Niners going to win the Super Bowl. The catch is overrated when it comes to... I mean, I remember growing up hearing about the catch. And now that's it's so cute that it's called that because... I mean, Montana's kind of fading away when he throws it. Dwight Clark kind of... He gets like six inches off the ground to make the catch. So it's great. And it wins the game. And you get to go to the Super Bowl. But there's been there were nine catches this past Sunday that were more impressive than... The catch, but uh, the best part about that might be Vince Scully's call, who after the touchdown goes quiet for like 30 seconds. I didn't play that on the air, but he just let the moment, you know, classic veteran move, Vince Scully. He knows how to let the moment live for itself and not talk all over it. Uh, so that's always fun to listen to uh, that clip, one of the most legendary NFL highlights ever. And, uh, I'm trying to think if that is the drive. Is that the John Candy drive with Montana, or was that against the, or is that against the Bengals in the Super Bowl? I should know that. Hey, there's John Candy. Well, he's in the huddle. Is that that drive against the Cowboys? I don't know. Oh, and then the the audio right before Scully's audio was cool. I I don't know if the audio was good coming out over the air, but it's Bill Walsh explaining that play montana before it happens on the chalkboard and then on the sideline and then it kind of happens exactly like he described so that that was kind of cool i hadn't heard that before great job larry well done my friend quick break we got coach john judkins joining us talking utah tech hoops when we come back thanks for being with us